Welcome back, everyone. George Affleck in for Jill. Hope you're doing well. All right. So several reports this week of communities with understaffed ambulance and paramedic stations. They're arguing that uh, those staff shortages might have led to some tragic deaths. Now, hearing that, you'd think you'd see immediate uh, action from the province. But then we thought that two years ago. Back then, there was, uh, it was reported that many part-time paramedics, especially those in smaller towns and communities, could not be enticed to work there because the pay was so terrible. Has that changed at all? Has it, what has been done to entice these first responders to move, live, and work in these small towns around BC? To discuss this and other things, we're joined by Troy Clifford. He is the ambulance. He's with the Ambulance Paramedics of British Columbia uh, and uh, the union that represents over 4,500 ambulance paramedics and emergency dispatchers in the province. Hey, Troy, how's it going? It's going good, George. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Look, this has been one of those weeks. I know you know that, and I'm, you know, but I, I remember hearing, and I don't want to get into that because I think we're we're hearing the results of that. But I remember hearing. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago that many small town paramedics were paid on this sort of kilo pay scale. And, I'm, you know, first of all, what is that? And has that changed? I just want to know more about this part time thing, because this is where I think these small towns are really challenged. Yeah. So, you know, when you say a couple of years ago, this has been a long, long standing issue mm-hmm. that precarious work in primarily rural and remote B.C. Um, and what it, what that kilo is, that's a kilo is a call sign that we have. So mm-hmm. just for the your, your listeners, and it is, it's, a, it's, it's assigned to an on-call ambulance, a part-time ambulance that is paid a, uh, a $2 hour stipend while they're waiting for calls. Um, and when, they're, when they receive a call in their community, when they're on that call-out ambulance, they're paid their paramedic rate um, for the duration of that call for a minimum of four hours. So uh, in a lot of rural and remote communities, what that means is that uh, somebody has to be available in their community, ready to respond to emergency or an inter-hospital transfer. And if they don't get one of those, which a lot of those communities are not the highest call volumes, then they don't get uh, other than the $2, two an hour so shift, they can get $24. I mean, that's almost, um, a, it's almost an insult, $2. I mean, you might, you're, you're basically working for free. Where does this $2 come from? Why, why $2? I mean, it seems ridiculous. So, it's a long-standing issue that came from essentially community volunteerism. We actually got nothing for two dollars, um, and what's happened is uh, over the years that you know it was sort of a little stipend just to acknowledge somebody's uh, time, and then it went to you were guaranteed a minimum of a four-hour uh, call-out during the, those those shifts. So you got paid whether you got a call or not, and that was really productive for uh, ensuring that uh, people at least got some compensation for their time put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was taken away and negotiated into a, a new service delivery model a couple of years ago, a scheduled on-call that has proven not to be effective. So we still have that on-call $2 an hour model. And what's happened in the last couple of years is it's really prevent, one, it's one of the reasons we've been in with our recruitment and retention issues. That's We're not kidding. able to recruit in those small towns because people just are not prepared to do that. They have options. Of course. Um, and they're not they're not coming into the service because of that precarious model. And when we look at towns like Barrier, which is in the news this week, you know, and they were at 60% capacity, I believe was the number, um, you know, to get that 40% in the town saying, the mayor saying, we're trying to get people up here, it's looking good. But, you know, it's not a huge enticement. It's basically you've got to go there, have another job, and then that's just something you do on the side. Uh, but you have to have skills to be a paramedic. Yeah. So, yeah, so what that, you know, using Barrier, Clearwater, uh, Bailmont, you know, Gabriola, all these communities mm-hmm. that, that scheduled on call, it's not been, that model of on call has not been, it's not uh, met its objectives. Uh, the world's changed in the last couple of years, as we've been talking about. But really what uh, a lot of those, those communities we're talking about, including Barrier, have a 24-hour full-time ambulance. That was put in place by this government. 
um, to cover off the community. What's happened is we're not able to backfill those secondary ambulances and a lot of those full-time positions, Ashcroft, another example that, you know, we've had some tragedies there mm-hmm. uh, where the positions are not filled. So it's going out of service or they're being drawn. And we're seeing this overnight. We've seen some real challenges in Nanaimo where those communities around are being drawn into that full, that, that urban uh, larger center because of their staffing shortages. Right. And that's leading these vacancies in these communities and putting a, uh, those communities at risk for response. So it's kind of a twofold issue, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we're relying on uh, other agencies like the fire or first responder volunteer agencies that are not trained or within their scope to do the work that people need paramedics that are qualified, trained, like you said, mm-hmm. to treat, transport time, people in their time of emergency. Yeah. And that's what put these full-time positions in these communities. Um, and that needs to be really recognized because that is, that is what's working, and that will provide an ambulance to treat and transport them in time of need. First responders are a vital role or part of the whole system, yeah. but their their role is to provide critical interventions in a time of emergency to support the ambulance service, not replace them. Um, you know, I know there's been some discussion and frustrations that maybe they should treat and transport, but replacing with another agency to do the work of paramedics is not in the best interest of patients Mm -hmm. or those agencies. They have roles. You know, the fire department is uh, public safety and fire prevention, and they support us in first responder roles, but they're not trained to the scope, nor nor do they want to do that work. Well, uh, I'd like them to put out fires, thanks very much. I know when I was a kid, the firefighters, I had my physics teacher in grade 9, uh, we'd love it actually because there would be a fire call. He was a volunteer firefighter, and I guess the most of the fire—I don't know if it was the entire fire department back. This is the early '70s, um, and yep. you know he'd get a call, his beeper or something would go off, and he'd disappear and be like, "All right, fire somewhere." But you know, it was it was a volunteer situation for a firefighter. But it, this is like 50 years ago. I mean, we think we'd make progress and look at our how we fund our healthcare system, the population growth. You think that government would sit there? How much is this going to cost us to do? So that question to you: What would it cost to be able to? to staff and pay a full time to, to get to that level where every town's like barrier yeah. and in Gabriola and wherever else can have somebody, you know, enough staff in place. How many millions, billions are we talking about here? Well, I'll answer that, but I just want to acknowledge, you know, you talk about the vault. You asked where the Kilo model came from. Mm-hmm. It came from the seventies when we first became a provincial service in 1974, when we, we just didn't have the full-time resources and they mm-hmm. put a provincial ambulance service in and it, that was the biggest step we did, but we haven't progressed in the last 10 or 15 years mm-hmm. in, in moving to that full-time model, which, um, you know, that's where that $2 came from. It was volunteers in, com- in communities that really essentially kept the ambulance service going. That model is no longer sustainable, and it was not sustainable 10, 15 years ago, but it's still in place, and that's what got us into this crisis. But, you know, with respect to what's it going to take, you know, if you look at the overall health care budget and the, um, you know, the amount of money that's put into this current government put into the ambulance room cups here, that's a, it's incredible what they did. But really what it's highlighted is how far behind we really got. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do, do I have a number? We're working through those numbers and we're actually talking about those through bargaining and discussions with the ambulance service. But, you know, in the big scheme of things, you know, you know, the scheduled on call model cost about $15 million in last round of bargaining to put in place. And that was not successful. Hmm. Um, so we're we're talking in uh, in you know in in those numbers to improve the service to more full time. It's uh, for a twenty four hour ambulance, and this used to be the number, and I think it's pretty accurate. It might mm-hmm. be a little more to put a full time twenty four hour ambulance in a community mm-hmm. uh, with eight 
or sorry, nine full-time paramedics, primary response, they say is about a million dollars. Per, per Wages, benefits, per ambulance, equipment, overhead, all those sorts of things. Um, so, you know, when we're talking 63 communities still don't have full-time ambulances across the province, uh, you know, there's $63 million to put a full-time ambulance in so every it's, remaining... It's per year, a million dollars per year. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, so 63 communities, $63 million per year. The, the province is... Put a full-time ambulance service, ensure every town that has an ambulance has a full-time ambulance. Now, there's some really remote town communities that there may need to be a, a different model. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some that, you're, you know, does less than 100 calls a year. And then you'd have to really, well, but, you know, we don't say that that community doesn't deserve a doctor mm-hmm. or a primary health care. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's where we, and when you look at the overall budget of health care and that, um, I think that that's, I know it's a lot of money, but it's also really not a lot of money when you think about um the, the responsibility we are in a lot of those communities, the rural and remote that we're talking about, we are the only health care and community. Uh, yeah. And we know that you've been talking on this show and everybody's been talking, our, our partners in health with doctors, mm-hmm. you know, we're a million people in this province don't have a general physician. Yeah. Um, and what that does is put pressure on us, particularly in those smaller communities that have no, um, there's more work for us because then we're transporting patients farther because the hospital closed and people aren't getting the care. So then they're relying on the emergency. Of system. course. Of course. For more addictions and mental health. Yep. We know that those people, you know, in their time of crisis, unless they're having a crisis, the best place for them is not in the back of an ambulance or an emergency department um, unless they need immediate interventions. So they need the proper support. In it. So not having physicians. So it's a very complicated angle. But, I mean, I say... Yeah, there's a lot of pressures on this government. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. <laughs> no. Do you think, no, though? Do you it's think? Tough, but, yeah, no, but I mean, 63, like, let's just, like, you know, when you use a doctor as an example, okay, so those guys have to go to school for seven years, 10, you know, whatever. It takes forever to become a doctor for whatever reason, because they get paid pretty well. They don't want to be in barriers. So is it, do you think it's easier for you to get nine uh, staff uh, staffed up for an ambulance station in, in any small town, BC, uh, any one of those 63 towns, than it would be to find a doctor to find nine? And if you, especially if you're paying, you know, if you're if it's you know fifty thousand bucks a year, if you're living in a small town, you can do quite well with that. Um, is it from an employment point of view? Do you think you you can staff up if that were to happen? Oh yeah, if we offered meaningful wages, full time positions. That I want to make clear, I'm not suggesting that paramedics can fill the role of a physician. No, 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 no. But I'm just saying so, the challenge that the, the doctor challenge is much more. It's complex. The education, yeah, blah blah blah, all these things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it takes a lot longer to train mm-hmm. them. But uh, yeah, absolutely. If we could recruit um, and have, offer those opportunities for full we know it works because it worked in when the government added last summer, uh, the minister added mm-hmm. uh, 26 communities went full time um, in response to the heat dome and, and yeah. their, their commitment to that. And we know those ambulances are staffing the Hazeltons of the world, the, the northern and remote communities that were went to a full time primary ambulance. Now, there's problems because we haven't filled all the vacancies or BCH hasn't, and there's, uh, you know, our recruitment. What, what that decimated is those part-time on-call casual employees that were backfilling the secondary ambulances and that. So that put a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on that. But what we can do is when we talk about the doctors and those challenges in those communities, we can support. Mm-hmm. And I, I said this this morning to a colleague. I said there's challenges in all of healthcare and, and human resources in mm-hmm. every profession and industry in this province. But our problem is we're not competitive with our wages and benefits. Mm-hmm. So then what we end up doing is people are choosing other careers going into private industry. Mm-hmm. But if we can address that gap, people will come into this profession. There's lots of people that want to do this great job. Yeah. Um, so I think 
I know that if we did that and address those gaps, we would. And and a lot of people don't want to leave their community. They want to do paramedic work in Barrier and not have to go to Vancouver or Mm -hmm. leave their family or their home that they've grown up in. And unless we utilize those people in those communities, we're going to have continually challenges to recruit. And those are the people we want, dedicated to their community. Well, if you have a, it's a good, yeah, you say it's almost a recruitment process. You get them in the small towns, and then if they move on, but you still have a, you can get them in there and get them trained. And if they want to come to Vancouver, where we need ambulance and paramedics as well, um, you've got a great, uh, you know, team of people to pick from, or who, who you know, there's going to be attrition and, and movement, and, and yeah. but if, at least and there's places to pick them from. Like. You know, you can train and, and recruit. So there's a lot of good initiatives mm-hmm. going on. And it's tough for me sitting here and <laughs> always talking about the, we're, we're, the negative. And the, the, but this is a good profession. The paramedics are, and dispatchers are working their buns off to keep it mm-hmm. uh, as best they can. And um, I'm optimistic if we can get through these really current stuff and get some short-term influx of uh, immediate actions, and uh, we can get through this long-term. But uh, maybe that's me looking at things for rose cloud glasses stay positive know. stay positive troy don't 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 go the negative road stay positive and get what you want that's what we i think the, i think the people of the province are behind you yeah i know they are and we get a lot of good feedback and i think generally you know we know that the public and, and the media and everybody is supportive of us um it's tough for our paramedics and dispatchers when they see when they can't do the job that they've been trained mm-hmm. to or when they respond to a call and somebody's been waiting in their time of need that emotional and psychological yeah. threat is incredible pressure on them, you know. And when they hear of something in their community like Ashcroft and others that we mm-hmm. mentioned, is devastating for them. And you mm-hmm. know, and and you know, that's why we're seeing these more psychological injuries. They're mm-hmm. not the actual ambulance calls; they're the system or the operational stressors that are putting the pressure on our members. And it's I talk to them every day, and they're it's in tough. Yeah, I bet. I bet in this past couple of years, especially. Uh, Troy, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Sorry uh, for taking so long. No, but, uh, no, all good. All good. Uh, all fascinating stuff. I appreciate it.